You're listening to Three Makes Baby, a podcast about fertility, family, and genetics. I'm Jana Repnow, a fertility counselor and author of Three Makes Baby. Welcome to the show. It's another day, another podcast, and today it's going to be a really interesting subject. You're going to want to listen to this. I know there's going to be big feelings around this. I've met with the amazing person behind satirical donor conception on Instagram. I've just had the most amazing conversations with her about donor conception and about how it impacts the lesbian community as parents and as children. So thank you for joining me. I'm not going to be using her name um, because that's, you know, per her request, but I just wanted to say thanks for joining me. Thank you for having me today. Tell me what made you or what prompted you to start the account in the first place. Cause I think you were telling me about a year ago is when it, you started it. Mm-hmm. So a year ago I was super, super, super stressed out in April studying for my, um, my comps, my comprehensive exams. I'm a PhD student and um, I think I was on my spin bike one day and I thought, you know, it would be a wonderful outlet <laughs> um, creating this account. Uh, and I think the reason that I chose um, satire is because uh, I do think that there are a lot of aspects of donor conception that lend themselves very well to satire because you know, the crux of something being satirical is, is pointing out these really, you know, absurd elements of, of something or even of everyday life and just saying out loud, like, isn't this thing that we accept and we take for granted actually kind of wild if you just looked at it a little bit differently, you know, like this idea that some of us are just walking around with 200 siblings, like, isn't that kind of absurd? Mm-hmm. you know, or even the idea that, um, if you have any kind of, any kind of feeling about it, I mean, you've been brainwashed by society and that's kind of the message that you get. If you just, if you just unpacked mm-hmm. your feelings and you just thought about it differently, you'd be happy. Um, and mm-hmm. you know, or this idea that you're, you know, legally unable to connect with your own genetic family. I mean, it's absurd. But it's, it is, absurd. but it's accepted. Um, when, and when you think about, I, I think it's a great point when you think about satire, because what satire usually does is it does elicit a different response. Often it's effective. It's effective because of that. Yeah. And I think a part of it is, yeah. it is a very, it's, it's a different way of, of trying to get your point across without necessarily being too aggressive. Yeah. I think there's a lot of people that would look at it and just immediately be like, I can't, I can't handle it, you know, and, and walk away and that's okay. They don't have to, but then there's other people that will take it in and go, Oh, this is showing me layers. This is making me think differently. And, and that sounds like that was the intention. The intention was just for it to be an outlet and to be quite honest. Um, it's, it's something that's by and for donor conceived people. I mean, the intended audience okay. is not anyone else. You've created this for donor conceived people. So for them to have a place that where they can be understood. Mm-hmm. Okay. Yeah. 
we experienced something interesting. She posted something I really appreciated um, and I shared it. I reposted it and we'll get into what that is in a minute. And when I did that, just because I truly just was like, I love this. This is great. And that I didn't know I was stepping into something right there because I got messages back from accounts that were unhappy um, with the post. Said you said in attempting to be all revolutionary in quotes, all same-sex couples using gamete donors does is reinforce the idea that the nuclear family is the only preferable or legitimate family option, and this always involves the exclusion of a parent. Um, and then you're talking about same-sex couples in particular because of all the references to quote queering reproduction of how revolutionary um, it is to pretend genetics aren't real at all. So. We got a, and then you say, there's nothing particularly revolutionary about pretending that the nuclear family is best or most legitimate form of family. The most revolutionary thing one can do is just tell the truth. But the truth about many facts, facets of identity and history is nearly impossible in the system of gamete purchasing. Can you maybe explain a little bit more? So I reposted that because I, to me, I mean, I'm intimately involved in this. I've been doing this for 12 years. I understood it. But then by reposting it and not explaining better, maybe I did more of a disservice. So what um, of, of your message here? Um, so I, I feel like it's it's necessary to point out that uh, on that account, sometimes I say things that are 100% not satirical. And that was very serious and, and how I feel. Um, and the the context for that really is not that i'm trying to speak to you know um the gay community broadly i don't think that everyone who has ever purchased gametes will go ahead and say well you know it's just a cell uh genetics aren't real all of that but you know what that kind of came from was this idea that this is if you are in a same-sex relationship your only option this is something that you need to do there's there's no other way of going about it um and the reality is that if you are a same-sex couple and you use donor gametes and you exclude the other genetic parent um you are in a two-parent household this is conventional um it's not conventional insofar as you know your day but um but in thinking about my my own life my own family my girlfriend has children i would like to have children she co-parents with gay men i would love to co-parent with my best friend he's a gay man and just, just looking at my life and thinking you know there is another way i don't love being told that simply because of this characteristic that I can't control, that my only option is to procreate with strangers. To me, that is truly, you know, like the problematic position to take. And mm. even if that's the route that people want to go, I mean, of course I have a bunch of lesbian friends who have used donor gametes. It's not like we're not friends. It's not like, I, yeah. you know, I'm looking <laughs> at their adorable kids and being like, ah, get away from me, you know? But, yeah. <laughs> but, um, but I, I think it's unfortunate that people look at this system and go, this is my, this is my only option. And I do think that there's a small facet of the community that thinks that this is the most revolutionary thing in the world. And, and I don't agree. I don't think it is. Um, I don't think it is just because we're gay. Yeah. 
And you are donor conceived mm-hmm. and you found out it was a late discovery as well, right? It was. And, um, and you know, it, I'm, I'm cool with saying that now, but, um, but it's something that I don't love to be open about because I feel like even that is kind of used against me in these com- in, in, in conversations yeah. about donor conception, right? Because then, then the fallback for some oh, people yeah. is, well, you're only mad because you found out at 22. And, exactly. and if you had grown up knowing yeah. you would be totally fine with it. And it's like, I mean, maybe, or, or maybe not, but that's not my reality. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. It is something that people think that late discovery means that, that that's, it's oversimplified, that that's the reason people are mad and it's not true. There's so much more to it. So, but back to what you were saying about using, you know, the revolutionary thing, because we did get um, feedback and, you know, some people were very nice about the way they asked and sort of helped me understand how, you know, this isn't how it's not revolutionary and revolutionary isn't necessarily excluding people that helped create you and, and just having a two parent family. So that's the nuclear family you were kind of referring to. And that's not as revolutionary as like what you described, especially co-parenting with a friend Mm -hmm. Um, and having a bigger family, nuclear family. That's not just two parents and kids, but maybe four parents and the kids. Mm -hmm. Yeah. 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 I, I think the reason I, you know, even though I obviously support same sex couples having children, and I think that that is, um, you know, revolutionary in its own way, it, mm-hmm. it's kind of like, you know, all these questions we ask ourselves about something like capitalism and how can we make these ethical choices in this system that's just so fundamentally unethical. Mm-hmm. I think it's the same thing, you know, when we talk about donor conception, how can you make ethical choices in this, in this system that is so unethical? and in my position and keep in mind, I'm just one person. I have no power to control the fertility industry or what other people do, but I don't think that we can act ethically in this system. Um, and I think that for, for myself personally, if I ever wanted to have kids and if if my best friend was open to co-parenting with me, which, um, we were talking about this earlier today, actually. And, and, uh, and I think he is, uh, that would be to me, the more, the more ethical option for me, mm-hmm. you know? Um, and it's, yes, it's complicated. Um, cause it is unconventional. Um, yeah. but, and I know that a lot of people, a lot of same sex couples will say a known donor or co-parenting is very complicated as if having 50 siblings isn't complicated. And as if yeah. not being able to legally contact your genetic family, isn't complicated too. And it's not just, I think when people, we say fit, you say 50 siblings, they just go, okay, well, they're out there. But what you don't understand is that donor can see people are getting contacted sometimes monthly with a new sibling mm-hmm. and they're having to go through this process of, of all over again, learning a stranger, trying to figure out if the stranger is aligned with them. Yeah. Uh, is that going to work out? And, and then knowing they're related to them and all the work of assimilating that information they find out about that half relative and what does that mean to you Mm -hmm. how does that reflect on you or not reflect on you or it's kind of that what can you filter out so all of that is ongoing complexity for the rest of your life yeah 
that doesn't end for you. Yeah. And yeah. The, even, you know, the idea that I want to have kids. I mean, it's not like donor conception just affects me. It affects my children too. And, you yeah. know, being able to give them answers when they eventually, you know, exist about, about certain things. And there, and there's just, there's just information that I don't have that I wish I did. Yeah. How can we explain that it's not that talking about genetics or the role of genetics or how it plays into identity development isn't homophobic? I think because yeah. that's, that's the messages we got last right. week was that this was a homophobic message and that that was hard. Mm-hmm really hard for both of us. Absolutely. Especially you. (laughs) Yeah. I, well, I think that it's, it's useful to keep in mind that very few people actually in in the conversations that I have, and and obviously my position is not that, uh, you know, gay people shouldn't be parents. Um, and even though I would love to co-parent, um, with, uh, a gay man, uh, I don't, I don't think that, you know, lesbians should be forced to parent with men. I don't think that um, that my position necessarily means, you know, all of these various parents should have custodial rights. I don't, I don't necessarily think that that's, that's true. And I don't think knowing, mm-hmm. you know, your genetic parent necessarily means that they, that they have that kind of um, control and responsibility in your life. Um, yeah. The, the flip side of that, though, is that I don't like to perpetuate the fiction that reproduction itself is anything but the, the meeting of male and female gametes. And I don't think that pointing that out is heteronormative. It's literally true. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, this is kind of when people talk about, well, you know, it's, it's just a cell. It doesn't matter. It'll never matter. Um, there's, there's nothing, uh, you know, there's only, there's only homosexuality happening here. I mean, unfortunately reproduction isn't like that. I wish that I could have a baby with my girlfriend. Um, yeah, maybe someday, maybe someday. Um, you know, I think we'd have cute kids, but, um, Mm -hmm. (laughs) you know, and, but, you know, and, and maybe that I'm just uh, an optimistic dreamer. I mean, I think the real revolutionary thing to happen, you know, in science would be if same-sex couples could truly reproduce together. I think that would be mm-hmm. amazing. And I hope that that happens in, in the next, you know, the, you know, the, the next few hundred years or something. But, um, but yeah, the reality yeah, is, the reality is that's, that's not how the world works right now. And, um, and and I think that, you know, this, I, I, I think that there's a, a distinction between just pointing out the realities of, of how babies are made and, yeah. and, and then doing, you know, going beyond that and advocating for, you know, well, you know, you necessarily have to parent with the opposite sex and, you know, all that. I don't, I don't think that that, that those two things are synonymous. Yeah. Because that the revolutionary thought here is that we can change what parenting means, the definitions. It doesn't have to fall into the traditional model and it doesn't have to be defined a specific way. Like everybody lives in the same house. And 
And you can define it in many different ways, many, many different ways. So, and then, and then there's some legal things that you have to consider for sure. We're not ignoring that. And I think that's important yeah. to talk to somebody, an attorney that can help you feel legally protected and legally, you know, uh, have a yeah. good legal agreement, but like you and your friend, if you have a good relationship, a friendship, that's certainly something you can agree upon and work out with each other. Um, can it get complicated in the future? It can, but I think that people have to know that that relationships are always going to be complicated with humans. And so you just, if you can navigate that relationship, know that you're going to be connected, but know that there's going to be times where you're going to, you know, ebb and flow, be closer or not be close. Um, and that you can work through any conflict together and have good conflict resolution. You know, those are the types of things that you can mm-hmm. talk about when you're entering into any kind, kind of a, a relationship, whatever you yeah. want to call that. I've actually had somebody recently, um, comment about, um, my book and saying that I, you should just, I was a lesbian couple that I should leave the science out of it. Yeah. What do you say to that? No. (laughs) (laughs) How we're talking about a biological process making a baby (laughs) as a biological process. What about, um, this person told me, wrote to me and said, Help me understand when people say the LGBTQ community pretends genetics aren't real. I guess that's kind of what we're speaking to is like when it's the whole idea of leave the science out of it. Mm-hmm. Well, and how is that not a judge? This person thinks it was a judgment of their purchasing egg and sperm of you. Yeah. So maybe, maybe the distinction we should make here is, um, people, individuals feeling judged by, you know, recipient parents feeling judged as individuals um, when donor conceived people are really largely taking judgment with this entire system that people are interacting with. And I understand that it's hard not to, not to take that personally when you're contributing to it by purchasing gametes. Yeah. Um, The thing about pretending genetics aren't real. I mean, I'll just speak for myself here. I think that um, this largely comes down to this idea of, you know, it's just a cell. It's just the ingredients that I need. Um, And this sort of distinction between what this, you know, vial of sperm means to you and what it's, what it's eventually going to mean to this person who's going to come to exist. Um, and, and I think that there's that and because it, you know, the meanings are going to be different. Um, and I think that for, for the people in, you know, in the gay community who say it, it really doesn't matter. None of this matters. It doesn't matter that, you know, it doesn't matter that you have this information and I'm not saying that that's everyone. I know it's not. Um, I think that's where this idea of, you know, you're pretending that genetics really aren't, aren't real. And you're pretending that your kids somehow play by different rules than literally every other human being that exists mm-hmm. <laughs> or, or, right. you know, kids that are products of heterosexual relationships when it's socially, yes, they, they are going to have a different experience because they have gay parents. And, and that's one thing, but, um, you know, I know a lot of donor people who get very offended at the assertion that, well, some people just don't have moms or some people just don't have dads because they're seeing things not through a social lens, but through a genetic one. And to, to assert that, well, you just don't have a dad 
it's like we all genetically have you know have a father um yeah. and and maybe it's that maybe it's just this social kind of genetic distinction and one group of people are seeing things through that lens through that social lens and the other group of people aren't but they're not for very very good reason yeah do you take do you think people take it for granted that if they knew the the source of their genetics the the people that contributed to to them and, and that created them biologically mm -hmm. the people that knew that can't see through the lens of those who don't know that and get confused with this idea of role versus parent role versus parent mm -hmm. biology i do think that and it's interesting there was a conference in new york a couple of years ago about the bioethics of donor conception that i that i went to um and one of the attendees brought up this um, concept of like genetic privilege and that if privilege is fundamentally you know when we talk about white privilege or you know things like that that fundamentally the idea of privilege is that there are um things in the world that you get to not see and not pay attention to by virtue of your position mm -hmm. yeah. in the world um, and if you're, you know, white, for yep. example, there is just, you don't, you don't see racism <laughs> the same right. way that, uh, you know, yeah. that a black person does. And, mm -hmm. and there are just certain things that you don't really have to worry about. Mm -hmm. And I think that one could make the argument that genetic or biological privilege is, is similar. If you grow up knowing yeah. both of your genetic parents, there are just things that are so like, not even in your purview right. and it's not your fault. Yeah you know that's your experience but it is so different like genetic mirroring absolutely genetic yeah. mirroring is when we can look at family members cousins aunts uncles you know all everyone grandparents and and see parts of ourselves reflected in them and vice versa they can see it in us if you have genetic mirroring you take it for granted if you don't have it it becomes it, it's it's different it's your experience is different your challenges are different your um there's a study that came out that um particularly with body image adoptees struggled because they couldn't see other members of their family that had the same body structure and they had issues with self-acceptance, mm -hmm. whether it's height or body shape really affected the someone's self-esteem. And to understand the challenges that you as a donor conceived person, as an adoptee, as someone who doesn't know their biology for various reasons, um, to be able to see through that lens is important. The parent narrative, the parent centric narrative of I want a child. This is how I want to do it. And this is the way we're going to see it. And, and my child will see it this way too. Mm -hmm. And, you know, I totally understand that a lot of the, the consequences are not anticipated because this whole process is so, you know, if you're a recipient parent can be so isolating and so lonely, like my, my parents were, you know, going through this process in the, in the nineties and, um, and my mom, you know, she'll say things like, well, I never, I didn't think that you would have, you know, a few dozen siblings because I thought that I was the only one who was doing this. Like, mm. I didn't know anyone. I never heard, you know, she heard of one case yeah. in the news in the early nineties of someone I think in BC who had, um, who had uh, contracted like HIV from donor gametes. And she, she was like, that's the only, 
that's the only time I've ever heard of anyone doing this. And I was so scared that something's going to happen and I was going to get sick or you were going to get sick or something. But, you know, I, I didn't anticipate any of these consequences literally because I thought that, oh my God, I must be the only woman in the world who's doing this. Yeah. Um, Isolating people mm-hmm. from each other, keeping a secret. It. Yeah. But, you know, I, I do, I do see the tension now in the present day, particularly, uh, and, you know, keep in mind, my parents are a heterosexual couple, but I think present day with, with, uh, same-sex families, I do think it, there is a real social and to some degree legal and political tension, because how do you reconcile this idea that you've been fighting for these rights and this recognition and this kind of legitimacy and when you get it oh my god like now there's another problem and you're right. are conflicting with other people's rights i mean i totally understand the tension it's got to be frustrating yes and i know and i've yeah. heard that say as well that's like it's already hard enough and now we have to deal with this and 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 that, that is frustrating i i can't yeah i and and yet and yet we can't ignore your needs as a donor conceived yeah. person because of that either working through those challenges and those complexities i find that there's so much growth from that experience there are certainly recipient parents who 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 are acknowledging that yeah maybe this is the most ethical thing and and you know how can we figure out how to do it better how can we figure out how to create change um yeah, I, I think it's interesting that you brought up that uh, that study about adoptees and body image because I was just talking with someone the other day and I was wondering um, what incidences of you know body dysphoria and dysmorphia are for adoptees and, and mm-hmm. donor conceived people. I think that there's this there's been in the last I don't know decade or so this kind of turn particularly with transnational adoptees. Um, you know, that things like culture are really important. It's really important that people can see their cultural, cultural heritage mirror to them and their language mirror to them and things like that. And I, I have wondered recently, you know, why we can acknowledge that that's important and we can begin to acknowledge that that's important, but we can't acknowledge that genetic mirroring is, is important too. Yeah. When we adopted our daughter from China, it was really, really emphasized to us that we needed to celebrate and embrace her culture. And we've incorporated Chinese culture into our family life. And that was just so, so important. And yet have, yeah, like you said, like genes don't matter and DNA doesn't matter. And I, and maybe as people don't understand the science, I think some people thought that if you put an egg, a cell inside someone else's body, that it somehow would change and that they would the DNA would change. And so maybe there's a misconception there and they don't realize that, no, it's actually the DNA structure doesn't change. Yeah. I mean, I think so, you know, and I don't want to get into this too much because I know that people have a lot of feelings about this, but I think that there is a fundamental misunderstanding of what epigenetics are because that's part of it, um, which I don't, it gets spicy. So let's leave that off the table. But, but I, but I do think that it might go back to this idea of genetic privilege and, and what it means to recognize yourself in your family and, and, you know, your place in the world, your place in your family, your family's place in the world and things like that. Like when I first found out that I was donor conceived, it was because I did an ancestor DNA test 
and my little sister found me. And uh, as we got chatting and, you know, the, the truth was revealed, mm-hmm. um, she sent me a photo and my girlfriend at the time looked at the photo, looked at me and went, holy mm-hmm. shit. Oh my God. Are you saying this? And you know what? No, I didn't recognize myself in this person wow. at all. Mm-hmm. You know, like, and, and it felt like I personally was so like outside myself. Like there were just aspects of my physical being that I was so kind of like alienated from because I hadn't seen them mirrored back. And I had no idea what to make of it when it was, I didn't recognize this person, you know, and it's, and it it was weird because at this, on the one hand, I felt super connected Mm -hmm. to her and kind of this idea of I've seen you somewhere Mm -hmm. before, Mm -hmm. Yeah, you know, I, I kind of feel like I've interacted with you before, but also recognizing that these, these things that make me, you know, these physical attributes that make me feel that way are very foreign to me. That's such a great way to say it. That is such a great way. Yeah. And after, um, after seeing various or or being through this, you know, uh, 11 times now, um, I feel the same way every time this sort of, you know, I'm looking and I'm searching for this familiarity and I can see it. And as soon as I see it, it makes me so uncomfortable because it's so foreign. It's like feeling alienated from yourself in a way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That's so important. Self-fragmentation that can Mm -hmm. happen. And when you don't have those uh, built-in genetic, those built-in genetic mirroring uh, throughout the years, one way that I suggest people help make up for that is because that's the next question that comes. Well, what do we do, you know, as parents Mm -hmm. is to be their mirror by seeing Mm -hmm. them for who they are and reflecting that back to them from a very young age. So beginning to do it. So I had to do a lot of identity work later in life because of the lack of genetic mirroring. So given that, start helping them out with that identity stuff early on. And we always say it happens in adolescence, but it's happening from day one, genetic identity. And so, you know, mirroring it back by saying, by noticing things that are unique to them, Mm -hmm. traits and abilities and skills and just little ways they they are, you know? Yeah. And I, and I think with, with this little sister that found me, I mean, we look a lot alike and um, it's interesting. It's been like this weird kind of like healing process, even just looking at her face. Mm -hmm. I'm like, wow. I mean, you know, these cheekbones and this forehead look good on you. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, yeah, you know, maybe this ain't so bad. Yeah. <laughs> Self-acceptance and self-love and just all that yeah. stuff that happens in the mirror. Yeah, totally. I, I that makes sense. It really does. So mm-hmm. did you and you just have found one sibling? Oh no, I've been through this like 10, 11 times yeah. now. Okay. Yeah. And that's exhausting emotionally, or how would you describe that? Oh yeah. Mm-hmm. After the last one, which was um at some point last year, um, again, through like a commercial DNA test, cause you know, I'm on all the da- databases. Um, mm-hmm. but you know, after that, um, I was talking to, uh, to that same little sister and, and I was like, yeah, I think I gotta not do this. Like, I think I have to set some sort of boundary, mm-hmm. but you know, it's like on the one hand, 
it's totally, it's fair. It's for my own emotional self-preservation. Yeah. But on the other hand, I, I feel like, you know, if someone were to pop up tomorrow on 23andMe or something, I would feel this sense of obligation. And yeah. what do I owe you as my sibling? You know, so I've heard that. I don't know. Yeah, but it's, it is exhausting to just go through this over and over and over. And I know that, you know, there aren't just 11 of us. No. <laughs> yeah, so. Yeah. And so it will continue. It will continue. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's hard. And that people to put yourself in someone's shoes. If you're discovering a sibling month after month, and you don't know when it's going to end and you don't know how it's going to impact your future family. We talk about the ethics of the system. That's why it's unethical is that there is no one keeping track and there aren't people that really even care that are yeah. selling this from an egg yeah. about the, the consequences on the family's long-term. Exactly. Or they don't know. Like I, yeah, like I was looking uh, at the, you know, paperwork um, that had all the donors, putting that in quotes, donors uh, information on it, my biological father's information on it. And, and, um, and even the paperwork itself, I mean, it was given to me by my sister because my parents threw it out when I was yeah. a, a child because um, they were never going to tell me. Um, but, you know, I'm, I've been in contact with my biological father for the last couple of years. Yeah. And, and uh, you know, the discrepancies in the paperwork, <laughs> you know, it's, uh, I don't know how to, how to reconcile that. And even this idea that, um, you know, my biological father, I'm in Canada mm -hmm. and all my siblings that I know of are in the U S my biological father's in the U S okay. I don't know if I, if I have any other siblings here where I am in Canada and, you know, and one of the consequences of, of oversights in the industry is number one, looking at this paperwork, knowing that there are discrepancies and wondering, okay, when I have kids and you know, what if I don't have contact with my biological father or something like, what am I going to tell them if they have questions or some sort of medical problem or something? But the other hand is, um, you know, am I walking by people in my city and, and, you know, like they're my siblings. I mean, largely, you know, when I was single and when I was, when I was dating, my, my strategy is, was just avoid all Polish people because like they could be related to me. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> I, like I remember yeah. meeting this woman and I think, you know, uh, it was like new year's Eve or whatever. And she was like, ah, I need to like, you know, kiss someone at midnight. And, mm -hmm. um, and then I, and then I, we had like a little smooch and I found out that she was Polish and I almost threw oh, up. No. I mean, it was, it was bad, <laughs> but I'm like, well, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Like, you know, yeah, like, you don't know. And like, and this how else do you deal with it? <laughs> yeah. And the emotional um, burden that places on you to have to consider that all the time. People in the field say, it's oh, it's so rare. And I've had pushback. It's so rare for that to happen. But the even if it is rare, it, we how do we really know that? Because we don't have the data. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And the but the emotional burden is there every day, almost every day for some once you're, especially oh, in your, when you're at the age of where you're in romantic and you're wanting to have romantic relationships, which yeah. So I do want to say too, I, you know, 
this proves that your account is satirical because I think you posted something funny about you, uh, about picking traits of, of uh, based on physical appearance only, and then said something about uh, jokes on you. I'm hideous, <laughs> but that's definitely satire because you are not hideous. You are beautiful. Thank <laughs> so, you. <laughs> yeah. So I mean, and that that I'm sure that. <laughs> I had to crack up at that one because of course I knew what you look like, but also because, um, again, it hits you right in the gut, which is the, you know, to make you think about what's happening. And it's so common for parents to pick uh, based on physical traits. And again, that's not, a, we're not saying that's a, you're a, doing a bad thing or you're a bad person for that. It's just that, that is such a surface thing. It's, it's one aspect, but that it, there, there's so much more to it. That's all that they're telling parents though. When they go to choose a donor, they're just telling them, pick somebody who looks like you are. We have this new science, scientific technology that can match your face with the person's face. Yeah. And what that is the wrong message. That's not what we need, how we need to be educating parents. And that's all they know until they come to a counselor or someone who speaks differently. And then they and then they realize, okay, but that makes more sense is it's not just about us looking alike, mm-hmm. but that we have other traits that are similar too, and that we embrace those things that are different. Yeah. So. Yeah. And I think, you know, talking about physical characteristics and physical attractiveness is, I mean, on the one hand, it's, it's funny because it is one of those things that is sort of absurd to think that there are sort of handpicked traits that you can literally look in a catalog and find. Um, I know that the the counter argument that some people will make is, well, straight people do this, you know, people who are heterosexual and don't have problems with infertility do this all the time. I mean, you don't, do you go out of your way to like pick a partner you think is physically hideous? Probably not. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that, that, <laughs> that pointing things like this out with respect to donor conception opens up a bigger conversation about the expectations that some people have of their kids and some expectations that the donor can see people have about themselves because of how they were quote, supposed to be when they were created. And, yeah. and, it, and it really doesn't have anything to do, you know, fundamentally with physically, physical attractiveness. Like I know a lot of DCPs who will say, you know, I, was, I feel bad because I was supposed to be athletic. I was supposed to be tall. I was supposed to be good at math. Um, you know, I was supposed to have all these talents and I'm a huge disappointment because I don't. Mm. And how do you deal with that? And, and, you know, the other thing I should say is part of why I started the account was because I was, and to some degree still am having trouble finding a therapist who would talk to me about this. You know, it's like I would be emailing back and forth, trying to trying to find someone. And as soon as I mentioned this, and this happened a few times, um, as soon as I mentioned being donor conceived in an email exchange, I, it would just be, you know, radio silence. I just wouldn't get a response. Um, mm-hmm. And the people who did want to talk to me, who, you know, and I made sure to seek out people who were familiar with things like adoption, because yeah. it's as close as I'm going to get in right. my city, um, yeah. you know, and they would just sort of be upfront and say like, no, I help parents. I don't, I don't, uh, I don't do this. So part of why I started the account was I personally needed someone to talk to who was maybe going to talk back to me, (laughs) even if I, 
fundamentally was just screaming into the void. I was really hoping that someone would, would talk back. Yeah. So therapists aren't, there's not enough that know this perspective. No. Mm. No. Yeah. And I, or you get the same message from them if you do go maybe, which is, oh, but you should just be grateful. You had, a, you know, you have good parents and they really wanted you. Right. So, so you get that, that same messaging that just is more harmful because it's basically saying what you feel is wrong and not accepted. And, uh, therefore you should somehow make the feelings go away, which people can't. And then they feel not understood, not accepted by the people in their surroundings and still struggling inside with this cognitive dissonance, with this, with this emotional pain, have that go on and on and on and on, continue the isolation, continue the lack of self-acceptance, continue the self-alienation. All of that leads to psychological crisis that can lead to people feeling like they have no other option because they yeah. feel so misunderstood in this world. Absolutely. Hopefully we can get some more dialogue around this and more questions. If you have questions about something that we said, um, I would just encourage you to have a dialogue with us and ask us and let's, you know, even maybe get together or if, if we need to talk it out, because that brings more understanding about this issue rather than jumping to conclusions. Or, you know, if you have an initial reaction, strong reaction to this, anything we said on this podcast, I hope that you can take it as an opportunity to just dig deeper into your feelings and and maybe even challenge yourself in a way and, and challenge us if you want to, but that to see it as a tool for help for, for growth, rather than a message of, mm -hmm. of, of trying to alienate you or make you feel bad. You know, if shame's coming up, maybe it's internalized shame that, that we can help work through, or that we can help you to understand what's coming up. So, I mean, ultimately it's your children that are going to benefit from that. So, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And um, yeah, if people want to reach out to at satirical donor conception on Instagram, um, you know, mm -hmm. I realize that some of the posts that I make are a little bit spicy, but I promise I'm actually kind and gentle in my DMs. <laughs> it's been just such a pleasure interacting with <laughs> you. And, and I, you know, I believe you have a lot to offer. Your voice is so important. And while it's hard to hear and it's controversial and it's, it's a complex topic, that makes it even more important for it for you to be heard. And so I, I hope that you'll keep speaking out and keep talking. And I just feel like we're going to see or hear more of you. I hope for so. sure. So thank you for having yeah. me. Maybe a book. <laughs> oh yeah. <laughs> yeah. Maybe a book in the future. So are you a writer at all? It. You are? Yeah. Uh, yeah. I got to finish a whole dissertation first, but uh, yeah. you know, I'm, I'll get there. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's awesome. It's been a pleasure. Thanks for listening. If you would like to follow me for more content, you can find me on Instagram at Jana Ruffnell LPC and Facebook. And you can also grab a copy of my book, Three Makes Baby, on Amazon.com, BarnesandNoble.com, and Target.com. Be sure to subscribe to this podcast and rate it and share it with a friend if you like it. Have a great day.